0: Good morning, and thanks uh, for having me here this uh, morning, this day, this Lord's Day. I want to thank uh, Pastor Ken Hahn, especially for the invitation. And uh, I want to thank all of you as well for your faithfulness, not just to this church, but to this community. Um, I still remember when my former uh, a Hebrew professor, Dr. Dugid. Um, I studied at Westminster just down the road, and I remember he would uh, teach us, but it was obvious that it was also his sermon notes. And so class was not just a lecture uh, for us, but it was also we were receiving God's word in a very pastoral way. And then I I also remember when, Ken, you came into the presbytery, I left uh, for a while and I was ordained uh, in 2006. And then by God's sweet grace, he brought me back to California. I made the mistake of leaving once, and uh, I will not intentionally make that mistake again. Uh, so thank you to all of you for having me again here this this morning. Um, thank you, Ken, also for praying for us and our ministry down in San Diego. Uh, for those who are not familiar with our ministry, we are a ministry, a mission work of the PCA, and we minister to a very specific uh, part of San Diego called Logan Heights or Greater Logan Heights. And uh, if any of you are familiar with the Coronado Bridge, the bridge that connects San Diego to uh, what is almost an island, uh, Coronado, uh, our part of our neighborhood is actually uh, underneath that bridge on the San Diego side. And that's considered Logan Heights. And uh, I'll be talking a little bit more about our community, uh, some of its history and where it is right now. But I do Coven, I ask for your prayers for our community. Every community is, is a broken community because of sin. Um, our community uh, is especially broken because it's on a survival level. Uh, brokenness. And um, we can talk more about that afterwards. But thank you for your prayers. I'd ask that you continue to pray for our communities and especially the families of our community and and the children of our community. So uh, this morning I wanted to talk uh, about greatness and how to be great. Um, Greatness and how to be great. The pursuit of greatness is a very human uh, thing. Uh, In fact, I would say it's actually part of how God created us. The Bible tells us that God is a great God. And so when he creates us in his image, we are also meant to be great. Um, So the problem isn't that we want to be great. The problem after the fall, the problem after the Garden of Eden, is how we want to be great. What do we do to be great, especially in the eyes of others? Our world and our own self centeredness are constantly telling us that to be great means we have to be greater than others, we have to be better. Than Everyone else we have to be faster and stronger and smarter and prettier and wealthier than other people in order to be considered great persons in order for us to be noticed in order for us to be uh, loved and admired and even desired we have to be better than other people. Uh, this obsession with always winning in life, um, as if all of life was this huge competition, uh, is expressed well in one of my favorite songs. I'm going to date myself here. Ken, I don't know if you know this song. Um, the song is called The Distance by uh, a 90s band called Cake. Does anyone know that song? No? I'm going <laughs> to, forgive me, I'm going to recite some of the words here, but, um, and I'll tell you why in a second. So the song starts like this, reluctantly crouched at its starting line, engines pumping and thumping in time, the green light flashes, the flags go up, churning and burning, they yearn for the cup, they deftly maneuver and muscle for rank, "'Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. "'Reckless and wild, they pour through their turns. "'Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. "'As they speed through the finish, the flags go down. "'The fans get up and they get out of town. "'The arena is empty except for one man "'still driving and striving as fast as he can.' The sun has gone down and the moon has come up. And long ago, somebody left with the cup, but he is driving and striving and hugging the turns and thinking of someone for whom he still burns. He's going the distance. He's going for speed. She's all alone in her time of need because he's racing and pacing and plotting the course. He's fighting and biting and riding on his horse. He's going the distance. Some of you may know that song. And some of you are thinking, I never thought I'd hear, hear that song at church. Um, this song um, is about a motorcycle racer uh, who just can't get over losing. The song says that the race is over, someone else left with the cup, but he's still doing the laps, still trying to get faster and faster and faster, and it has consequences, right? He's, somewhere he has a girlfriend or a wife who's waiting for him, right? Um, In today's passage that we're going to read in the book of Mark, two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, are also obsessed with winning, with being great and being greater than others. Um, In fact, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find that all of Jesus' disciples had the same obsession, right? They repeatedly argued with themselves about which one of them was the greatest, So it wasn't enough that they were a select few, the few 12 that were close to Jesus. Even among themselves, they were constantly bickering and fighting and asking, who's better? In today's passage from Mark chapter 10, the issue of greatness comes up again. And in these verses, we're going to look at three ways how to be great. Three ways to greatness. The first is self-entitlement. The second is supremacy and the third is service. The first two ways—self entitlement and supremacy—these are false, and these are self-centered ways to be great. And then the third way, service, is, I would say, the true and only gospel-centered way to greatness. Again, the issue is not um, that it, that uh, we that it's wrong to be great. The issue is how are we trying to be great. So let's go ahead and read those verses from Mark chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 35 through 37. We're going to skip a small section, then we're going to pick up at verse 41. This is a reading of God's word. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for meeting us here This morning, we thank you for gathering us here. And Father, we ask this morning that you would open up our ears, open up our minds, that you would open up our hearts, Father, to receive your grace through your word, to receive your truth through your word. Father, we ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives as we pursue greatness in all kinds of ways. Father, we ask that we would not leave this place the same way that we came in, that we would be changed by you and by your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for listening to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's look at that first way of Pursuing greatness, uh, which is again false and self-centered. The first way that we're going to look at is self-entitlement, or what we can call the wanting to be right or left. All right, and this is obviously connected to to James and John's uh, um, request of of Jesus. Right, self-entitlement or wanting to be right and left. Uh, Self-entitlement is a belief that you deserve special privileges and special powers more than others. Let me give you five signs uh, of self-entitlement. Five signs that you might in your own life believe that you deserve special privileges and power more than others. The first sign of self-entitlement is self-centeredness or narcissism. That's the extreme, right? And probably most of us would say, oh, that's not me. But it's definitely a sign that you're self-entitled. Next one is selfishness and envy. I want everything to be mine, and I'm envious of those that have things I don't have. Uh, Third sign, unwillingness to be equal or at the same level with others, and unwillingness, much less to be below anyone in any kind of sense, economic or social, whatever it may be. The fourth sign of self-entitlement is frequent anger, and even fits of rage. You find yourself getting upset at others very easily and very often. And finally, the last sign of self-entitlement is self-pity. Right? You feel sorry for yourself a lot. Because you're not like others or you don't have what others have and you think you deserve it. We find all of these traits on some level in James and in John. And they believe two wrong headed and wrong hearted things um, uh, in this passage. They believe that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. They believe Jesus is going to Jerusalem to become an earthly kind of king with power and with fame and wealth. And two, they believe that they deserve to be King Jesus' right and left hand men when he becomes king. That's why they're asking to be right and left. They want to be his vice president. They want to be the men in charge directly beneath Jesus. They want to be seen right there where Jesus is standing because they think he's going to be this earthly king. They want to be standing right next to him, right, the guys in charge. After all, if, if you remember the story of James and John from the, the Gospels, after all, James and John are Jesus's cousins, so they're related to Jesus. So they already think, well, we've gotten it in. We're relatives, right? They also are among Jesus' super disciples, or what we call apostles. So they're their family. They're among the 12 apostles. And finally, James and John, along with Peter, are among Jesus' best friends. So Jesus had three best friends, and James and John are two of those three. So they think they're in. And they believe that they deserve these positions of privilege and power. Unfortunately, their closeness to Jesus and their proximity to his power, these things only inflate their ego, right? One way James and John choose to be great and greater than others is through self-entitlement. Look at the request that they make of Jesus in verse 35 and 37. They come to teacher or they come to Jesus, and you, you get the sense that they kind of broke off from the other ten and kind of, you know, started walking a little bit faster ahead of the others to catch up to Jesus. And they come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. I want you to notice some punctuation here and some language. There is no question mark in that phrase. There is no please in that phrase. This is not a request. This is a demand. If these were your children, if this was my little Maggie Mae, I'd say, what's the magic word, right? But there is no question mark. There is no please. This is not a request. This is a demand. Of Jesus, It would be easy for us then to be indignant with James and John like the other disciples were. But if we're honest with ourselves and if we're honest with God, we're not that much different. We believe that the way to be great, the way to greatness is through self-entitlement. To say, I deserve this. And we demand things of God all the time. We demand from God personal positions of power at church, at work, in our community. We demand personal positions of praise. We want to be recognized by others. We want others to see us. And we want to have a little privilege, right? A little something special that no one else Gets. This morning, before we go on, let me ask you this. Do you see any signs of self-entitlement in your life? How are you demanding that God make you great and greater than others? When we read scripture, particularly when we read stories of people in scripture, we need to find ourselves in their story as well. Not because these stories are uh, allegory or fake, but because these are real people like us. And they had the same struggles as we did. So again, this morning, how do you, or do you see any signs of self-entitlement in your life? Let's look at that second way of greatness that we see from this passage. And that, that is supremacy, or what we can call first and high So uh, self-entitlement was saying, I want to be uh, on the right or left. I want to be in these places, positions of power and praise and privilege. Now supremacy is looking to be first and high. Um, I know we live in California, but I'm not talking about that kind of high. Uh, I'll get back to that. But first and high or supremacy. Supremacy is a belief that you are intrinsically... That there is something in you that makes you greater than others. That you need to have power and control over others if you are going to be great. This way of greatness, unfortunately, has again gotten a lot of national attention recently. Recently especially as we are seeing in our country all kinds of pretty brazen and shameless forms of white supremacy uh, kind of creep up and come out of the woodwork. We might want to think that this is limited to people of a certain skin color, but it's not. The Bible's pretty clear that because of our sin, all of us have this sense of supremacy, right? Right? Every race, every culture, every country, everyone in the world throughout history has this inside of them, this sense that they are better than others. It's in all of us, this selfishness, this hatefulness, this hurtfulness in us. We all have a desire that we are supposed to be above others and we need to keep others beneath us. At school, at work, in our community, even at church, we are all trying on some level to force our way to the top while keeping others to the bottom or forcing them to the bottom. We all want to be first in front of others, and we all want to be high that is, above others. This is how Jesus describes this way of greatness. Look at verse 42. Verse 42, now that the other 10 have joined John and James, Jesus says, you know, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. Jesus is saying that the world says that in order to be great, you have to get others to first recognize you, right, and then you have to control them and you have to be over them and keep them down. This is how the world tells us we need, we need to do what we need to do to be great. And even though they are family and followers and friends of Jesus, James and John bought into this worldly idea of supremacy as a way to be great. Let me give you a couple examples from Luke chapter 9, verse 49. There Luke tells us that Jesus, I'm sorry, there John tells Jesus that he and the other disciples actually tried to stop someone from casting out demons in Jesus' name. Why? Because he wasn't one of them. He wasn't part of the 12. He wasn't part of that special group. And then just a few Verses later, in Luke 9, 54, James and John, they come to Jesus. I don't know if you remember this. And they request, they ask Jesus if, if they could call down fire from heaven to destroy an entire village because they weren't welcoming of Jesus. They got a little taste, right, of the power of Jesus. Say, Jesus, can we call down fire From heaven. It's no wonder that Jesus calls James and John sons of thunder. I don't think this is a compliment. In their minds, in their hearts, they believe that being great means being superior to others and controlling others by force. I recognize that sometimes in our hearts we try to justify supremacy by saying, oh, I am competitive, or I am ambitious, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with being competitive or ambitious if your goal is to glorify God, if your goal is to bring fame to God's name. The problem is, though, that most of the time we are not competitive or ambitious for God's sake. We are competitive and ambitious for our own sakes. We believe we are superior to others, and we believe we have to prove it to them. We have to make sure that they know who we are, right? Let me ask you this morning again, do you see any signs of supremacy in your life? Why do you believe you are intrinsically better and greater than others? Why do you feel like you have to control others and force them to acknowledge how awesome you are? Why is this the way that you're trying to be great? So that's supremacy. The second false and self-centered way to becoming great, Jesus gives us a third option, and it really is the only option for followers of Jesus. This morning, if you call yourself a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one way that we are to pursue greatness. Again, Jesus isn't telling us, don't be great. He's telling us how to be great. In verse 43, Jesus first rejects false and self centered ways to be great when he says, It shall not be so among you. Self entitlement, not an option. Supremacy, not an option for us. And then Jesus gives us the only real way to greatness when he continues in verse 43 and 44. He says, Those two other ways are not options, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. God's way, the gospel way to be great is service. You see how Jesus turns the world's ideas of greatness or how to be great upside down? Self-entitlement says that you deserve to be in these positions of privilege. You deserve to be at the right or the left. right? But Jesus says no. Instead of being right or left, you have to serve and care for others. Supremacy says that you must be first and high above others. Jesus says no. You actually have to be last and you have to be low to be great. And while self-entitlement and supremacy say greatness is all about you, Jesus here is telling us that that greatness is actually all about others. It's about everyone else. And here I want to talk a little bit about service. What is service? Service is love in action. Right? Right? Service is loving others so much that you actually do something about it. When you turn love from being a feeling or a desire or a thought and you turn it into action and you do something about it, it is giving yourself to others and giving up your time and your energy and your money and even your success for the sake of others. It is willingly and happily Doing for others what they can't do for themselves. Why is service then the only gospel focused, only gospel centered way to greatness? Why is service the only option for you and for me as believers in Jesus Christ? It's because service is Jesus' own way to greatness. See, Jesus doesn't just tell us to be great by serving others. He's, just not, he's not just commanding us to be servants and slaves. He's actually doing it himself. Look at verse 45. Verse 45 is one of the, I think, one of the most radical things that Jesus ever said about himself. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I want you to know this morning that that verse is the gospel. That's the good news in one verse, summed up very, very easily. Sometimes in scripture, there are these verses that just tell you the good news very clearly Very succinctly, verse 45 here in Mark 10 is one of those. Here, Jesus is basically saying that as God, he calls himself the son of man. He says, as God, he doesn't need you or me to serve him in order to prove how great he is. That's how all the other gods in the world prove themselves, by how many people serve them and how they serve them. They give me this, or they're supposed to do this, and that shows you how great I am. And the God of the Bible, the Savior of the Bible, is a Savior that says, I don't need you to serve me to show you how great I am. Despite him being the only truly entitled and superior one, Jesus proves his greatness by serving others. This is what distinguishes the God of the Bible from all other gods and all other religions. This is what distinguishes Jesus from any other Savior, that he came to serve them. He came and loved them so much that he actually did something about it. He didn't just talk from heaven. He didn't just command from heaven. He didn't just have feelings. He actually did something about it. He gave himself up for us. To save us, he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. This is our servant savior. The only one who can rescue self-entitled supremacists and change them into servants. This this verse and the verses we've, we've looked at, these are the verses for our church. Our church isn't called Servants Church of San Diego. It's called Servant Church of San Diego because it's named after Jesus. Some churches are called Christ the King. Some churches are called uh, Redeemer. And they're, they're all fine names for churches. But sometimes we forget that one of the titles Jesus is given in Scripture, throughout Scripture, is that he is the servant of the Lord. It's one of the things, again, that distinguishes Jesus from all other saviors. Our church is named after Jesus. Because he's the only one who can change us. He is the servant, the perfect servant of the Lord. We see this in the life of James, and we see this in the life of John. Jesus came to rescue and change them. And James one of the sons of Zebedee who wanted to call down fire from heaven, to want to keep others from, uh, from doing God's work. James, after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, James, for the sake of others, fearlessly then preached the gospel, and ultimately he died for it. He became one of the first apostles to be martyred. His life was changed by a servant savior when he realized what kind of savior he had. And Jesus changed and rescued John, who again, for the sake of others, went on to write several books and letters. You guys know the books. You know the letters. But those books and letters are filled with the greatness of Jesus and not the greatness of John. Not once in any of John's books or letters does he even name himself except once in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, John calls himself a servant of Jesus. And he calls himself a brother and a partner with other Christians. Because by the end of his life, John had been changed completely. He was no longer seeking uh, these other ways of greatness. He had been changed, and he was glad. He was happy. He was proud to call himself a servant and a partner with other Christians. This morning, as we conclude, let me ask you this. Will you let Jesus save you and rescue you and change you by serving you. It takes humility to admit you need to be served. It takes humility to ask Jesus to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. This morning, will you let Jesus save you by serving you? This morning, also, do you believe that you need his service? to really change your life? Do you need to understand what he did for you so that your life can change, so that you can let go of these false and self-centered ways to be great? And finally, will you serve others as Jesus first served you? Will you pursue greatness the way that Jesus did? Will you be last and low For the sake of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you. This morning. That when we were self-entitled. Sinners. When we were those. Who were filled with ideas of superiority. Father you still sent your son. To serve us. Father, you didn't wait until we were humble enough. You didn't wait until um, we came to you. But you sent your son that he might serve us, that he might come and take on our form, the form of a servant, and not count equality with you something to be held on to, but actually let it go. That he might come to be with us and to serve us. To clean not just our dirty feet, but to clean us entirely. To go all the way in order to serve us, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. Father, thank you for a Savior who served until he had to give up his life. Father, thank you for that Savior. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for all the times that we have demanded of you greatness. We have demanded these positions of power and privilege and praise. We haven't asked. We haven't said please. We've demanded these things, Father. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father, for All the times when that sense of superiority and supremacy creeps into us. All those times that we think and maybe even say things like those people in a derogatory way, Father. And we think ourselves better than others. Forgive us, Father God. Father, this morning forgive us because we don't want to be like Jesus. Forgive us because we don't want to serve others as he served us. Father, would you make us more like our servant savior this morning in our marriages, in our homes, at school, at work, in our communities, in our country? Father, would you make us servants so that in our servants the world might see our savior? That they might see something that they do not understand. That they might see your love for us. Father God, help us to reflect Jesus to others, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.